welcome to the Research and Innovation Podcast. I'm Vera Trapman. I'm a professor of Comparative Employment Relations at Leeds University Business School. And I'm Ursula Bolderton, a research associate at the Centre for Employment Relations, Innovation and Change at the Business School. Today in this episode, we are going to talk about the foundation industries and their way to become net zero. So what do they do in order to reduce their um, carbon emissions? And that's a really important question if we want to understand how we can decarbonize as a country. Ursula, can you maybe tell our audience what the foundation industries actually are? So the foundation industries are a group of industries that include metals, bulk chemical production, glass production, ceramics, pulp and paper and cement. And what this group of industries has in common is that they tend to use large quantities of energy. So they have a lot involve a lot of high temperature processes. They often produce process emissions, which means that the, they don't just produce emissions through the use of fossil fuels, but their industrial processes also produce emissions as a kind of byproduct. And they, these industries sort of underpin the econ broader economy more generally. So they often produce outputs which are used in other sectors. So, for example, construction of food, you know, steel is used in construction, as is cement. Glass uh, is used as, in the food industry as a form of packaging. So, yeah, it, it, these, these factors together me mean that they're both essential and really difficult to decarbonize because it's not just a case of changing the energy system. You have this associated problem, which is process emissions that you need to deal with as well. So this is why they are called foundation industries, because they are basically everywhere in, in almost in every product that we use. OK, that's interesting. And how are they intending to reduce their emissions? Well, it's different for each sector. The research that I've been doing with my colleagues at Leeds Vera, who's speaking with me today, and our colleague Joe Cutter. We've looked mainly at sort of steel and cement and glass, but broadly speaking, there's a, a really strong drive to improve the efficiency of these industries and to change the fuels that they use in their energy intensive processes. Um, and also to change the raw material inputs that go into the production, because if you change what you use to make some of these products, you can, in some instances, although the technologies aren't entirely there yet, uh, reduce, reduce some of the process emissions. But that is still, I think, to a degree, a work in process, depending on what, what industry you're talking about. So to just give you a little bit of an example of what we mean by that, if you produce the products from raw materials, you get the process emissions. But in some instances, you can produce the products using recycled materials or if you remelt glass in the furnaces, it doesn't produce process emissions. Whereas if you produce glass from the raw materials needed to produce glass, then you do get your you do get your process emissions. With respect to cement, they're talking about completely changing what the way in which cement is made. So no longer is it going to be made using limestone, using limestone to produce clinker, but sort of using different types of clays. And those have got different chemical properties and so don't tend to produce the emissions in quite the same way. Great, thank you. So just to make this very easy, what would you can you give us an example for fuel switching for one of the industries? For, how, for it would switch from what to what? So yeah, the glass industry, for example, the furnaces run on, on natural gas currently, and there's new furnace designs evolving that would use electricity. So obviously that's only as green as, the, as to the extent that our grid is decarbonised. 
it's easier to electrify smaller furnaces than larger furnaces. And as it stands at the moment, there haven't quite developed technologies that allow furnaces to run entirely on electricity. But they're also using other different types of fuels. There's attempts to use biofuels, there is attempts to use hydrogen, but quite a lot of the emphasis is on electricity. Okay, great, thanks. And that sounds like a major restructuring of the industries. What is the government doing to support this transition? Yeah, these, the, the, these industries do need quite a bit of government support. There is a lot of you know, technological change involved in, in reducing their emissions. There are a number of initiatives to support these industries, but probably nowhere near enough, I think we would argue. You know, the, the, there's additional cost with electrifying the furnaces in that you need new types of connections to the grid and issues with a kind of grid capacity. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think steel in particular is the industry that really stands out for needing a large amount of, if, if we were to maintain a domestic steel industry, it needs a large amount of investment, which isn't really getting from the government at the moment. So Tata Steel, which is one of the UK's two blast furnace sites, blast furnace sites are where steel is produced from raw materials rather than recycled materials. They've estimated that the cost of decarbonisation would be around three billion for their site, and they've requested a 1.5 billion subsidy from the government. As you might have heard last month, the government offered a support package to Tata of 500 million. So nowhere near the amount that they were actually asking for. And this 500 million was aimed at aiding the transition to electric arc furnaces. However, in pursuing electric arc furnaces rather than, say, for example, hydrogen steel making, this puts large numbers of jobs at risk as electric arc furnaces are much less labour intensive than blast furnaces. It also affects the type of steel that can be produced, and steel is generally lower quality as there is less control over the inputs, as electric arc furnaces are using recycled materials. So there's the possibility that Tata could lose some of their key customers. At the moment, the estimation is that at the Tata-owned Port Talbot site in Wales, there'll be around 3,000 job losses as a result of this particular decarbonisation policy. This is obviously not just transition and it's going to be really sad for all the workers and communities who are going to be affected. So the government isn't supporting the foundation industries the way that it needs to. Another important aspect of the government's industrial strategy or, or lack of industrial strategy is the way in which it's, it's allocating money geographically. So the government's industrial decarbonisation plan is very much focused on decarbonising sets of industry that are geographically concentrated. So this is called taking a cluster approach. So it's focusing on its big industrial clusters. The places that are likely to receive investment first are kind of the East Coast cluster, which is a combination of the Humber estuary and Teesside. Um, and the Hynet project, which is over in the northwest. So these cluster projects are intended to decarbonise heavy industry by building out blue hydrogen capacity and carbon capture and storage networks. Blue hydrogen production involves taking natural gas or methane and splitting it down into hydrogen and carbon dioxide and then capturing the carbon dioxide emissions and storing them underground, generally out at sea as opposed to green hydrogen, which is produced using renewable electricity to put water into hydrogen and oxygen. Green hydrogen doesn't need carbon capture and storage because it doesn't produce uh, carbon dioxide. These hydrogen and carbon capture and storage projects will allow the businesses that are located nearby to decarbonise. 
the businesses that would be able to access this mode of decarbonisation is going to include chemical production, petrol refineries, new and pre-existing uh, gas-fired power stations, for example. So although these projects are potentially an important step forward, there's very little funding for the decarbonisation of sites that fall outside these clusters, which is quite a lot of the other foundation industries. So a lot of the glass industry, ceramics industry, pulp and paper industry and your cement industry, they won't necessarily benefit so much from these industrial cluster developments. These industries are not really receiving support due to their geographical locations and the way in which the government is approaching decarbonisation, which is very much focused on these uh, existing clusters. I mean, there is a logic to that. That is the way you can, it, it, that's the way you can get uh, the biggest gains for the lowest cost, but it does put a lot of other, other businesses across the country at risk. This sounds like a really difficult context for companies. And I guess the recent energy crisis has made things worse. How did that affect them additionally? Yeah, I mean, the energy crisis is really bad news for the, the foundation industries. As I was saying at the beginning, they, they they use a lot. They use a lot of energy. They have a lot of high temperature processes, so their energy costs um, are really high. And this is making it's making decarbonisation more difficult as, the, as there's less money floating around in the sector because it's kind of being eaten up by the high energy costs. Certainly the energy intensive uh, users group is, is really stressing really hard that this needs to be there needs to be a reduction in energy costs. Yeah, I mean, so just to sort of contextualise what we're saying here in the UK, energy costs are about 50 to 60 percent higher than some of our competitors. So that is a significant additional cost. And what do all these challenges uh, mean for workers? You, you said some of the companies are at risk. That that doesn't sound really promising and reassuring. Um, how are the workers reacting? Are government putting in place any kind of rescue measures? Well, we don't know that much about how workers themselves feel about this, um, but certainly not specific within the foundation industries. But yeah, this, as as, you, as I'm sure you can imagine, this does have implications for people's jobs. You know, if these industries aren't given the support they need, we could be looking at job loss. But hopefully that won't be the case. But regardless, like some of the skills needed um, by uh, people working in these industries are going to change. So there's going to be a shift to much more the need for data analytics, because one thing that we haven't really talked about is how in order to drive energy efficiencies where they are still possible, these companies are, are digitalizing. So what that means is, for example, if you take a glass furnace, previously the amount of gas that it used would be controlled by the worker and they would decide how much gas to put on and how much gas to put off, depending on what they could see and their observations of, of, of what the furnace looked like primarily. I mean, I'm sure there's more to it than that. Um, but now what we have is these furnaces are being designed to have lots of different um, temperature measuring electrodes in, inside them. So these are producing huge amounts of data and that data is being used to optimise the amount of gas that the furnace needs to use. So that's sort of changing jobs, for example, that's changing jobs like the furnace operator role and where previously that was, you know, that was done by a kind of experiential learning. Now, that somebody doing that role would probably need a, an understanding in data analytics, in machine instrumentation to kind of understand the machine that's operating the furnace and 
that's changing the type of skills that workers need. So, you know, there are questions around how easy it will be for people who have worked on these furnaces to transition into roles that require high level data anal analytics. It seems like the industries are quite supportive of, of, of enabling them to do that. But how it plays out in the real world is, you know, a big question. So these companies are struggling partly because there's a real deficit of STEM skilled workers in the UK, you know, especially at the technical level. We've just about, you know, a report by IDRIC was saying we can just about get by on the amount of graduate, graduate STEM skilled workers that we have, but kind of technical workers, there is a real shortage of supply. And that means that not all the businesses are able to get hold of the workers they need. And that's going to become an increasing problem as some of these projects start to get underway. And there's complicated project management jobs being that need to be done. You know, there's a need for specialists, what specialist welders, especially if we go down the hydrogen route, because hydrogen is a much, the hydrogen molecules are much smaller. So that means you need very high level welding skills if you're going to start piping hydrogen around. You know, digitalization, as I was saying before, means that there's going to be high levels of machine instrumentation needed in these industries, um, as well as obviously a lot of electrical engineers, given the push for uh, electrification of the furnaces. There's also probably going to be a need for jobs, more jobs in environmental auditing, compliance and monitoring, as, as we really you know, put an emphasis on meeting the environmental uh, standards and, and, and looking at what emissions are being produced by these businesses. So... Yeah, there's quite a lot happening in terms of the skills demand that, and how it's changing in, in, in these industries. And that is going to have implications for workers. And the hope is that a combination of government and company support will allow people who are already in these industries to develop the skills that they need to continue working and continue thriving in, in the foundation industries, rather than that there be a kind of sort of a, like a shift change and, and, and some people are out and, and a different set of workers are in. Because that wouldn't, I don't think that would be a very fair transition. Uh, transition for people who were involved. Yeah, there's a lot that we um, need to expect from government um, as well to support those businesses. And as you say, there is still a lack of research about um, what workers really think in those industries and um, how they are involved in the company um, policies. But I think what we know from the surveys that we have done with workers ourselves and if you're interested you can read a report that we have done for a trade union community which is organizing workers in the steel industry we know that they're extremely concerned about their futures we know that they are very anxious and concerned about climate change and that they have a much better understanding of the causes and consequences and what needs doing to mitigate climate change so they are really a kind of part of the workforce that you could take on the journey. But we also know that they are very anxious about losing their jobs and that they call for a lot of government support and particular for regional labor market policies. So to ensure that regions don't get deprived and that we don't witness what we have seen some decades before that some communities have just lost thousands and thousands of, of jobs. So there, there's definitely more for us to learn in order to, to speak to workers, but there are clear messages coming from our research, and we hope that this will help inform some of the debates in the area of the foundation industries. Yeah, thank you very much, Ursula. Yeah, thanks a lot for the opportunity to speak there. It's really it's something I feel strongly about. I really hope the government pulls its finger out in terms of industrial policy. So yeah. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, discuss these issues.
And if you are interested in more around decarbonization and just transition, please listen to other series in our podcast series. Thank you.